Mark's Gospel, chapter 5. I don't know, I must have hit a button there. And I turned my mic off, so. Bless the Lord. First one. And they came over onto the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs and no man could bind him, no, not with chains because that he hath been often bound with fetters and chains and the chains had been plucked asunder by him. And the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always night and day, He was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him, and cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thy Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. For he said unto him, Come out of the man, thy unclean spirit. And he asked him, What is thy name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country. Now there was there now unto the mountains a great herd of swine feeding. And all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine, that we may enter into them. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave. And the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine, and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. They were about 2,000 and were choked in the sea. And they that fed the swine fled and told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see it, what, see it, what was, that was, was done. And they come to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And they saw, they that saw it told them how it befell him that was possessed with the devil and also concerning the swine. And began to pray him to depart out of their coast. And when he was come into the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee. And hath had compassion on thee. And he departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him. And all men did marvel. Keep your Bible open please. For we'll refer to this chapter. Let's pray. Father, we ask you now to mantle every heart with your spirit. And fill us, every one of us, with the word of God and with your Holy Ghost. And we ask you, Father, that you would draw every one of us closer to yourself this evening. And that you would speak to every heart. Lord, we love you and we worship you. We thank you for your presence in our midst. You're so good to us and gracious and compassionate and kind. And Lord, we love you because you first loved us. So shut us in with yourself and glorify your name. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. The disciples have come out of a storm. 
And the Lord has spoken to the storm. The storm, if you remember last week, it beats itself out. Tries to fight against the power of the creator. And creation will always find it is inferior to the creator. And that which God had created bows to the authority of the word of God when the Lord Jesus spoke to the storm. They have now come onto the shore. Christ has come out of the ship. Stepped out of this boat and onto the shore. And we're told, we've looked at it in, in part one of this message. That immediately as he stepped out of the ship and onto the shore. Immediately a man came out of the tombs. And the man has a legion of demons. A multitude in unity in other words. Something that is believed to be unstoppable and unhinderable. And it comes running down with the man screaming and yelling with noises coming out of him that cannot be described by words of uh, Greek or Hebrew or English or any earthly language. It's indescribable, the heart of this man, with demons yelling from him. The closer he gets to Christ, the more the demons must bow before Jesus. But the man himself falls at the feet of Christ. And as he falls at the feet of Christ, he comes into full submission to Christ. When he comes into full submission to Christ, he finds it's there. He finds his salvation. That it's there he finds his deliverance. That it's there he finds his healing. At full submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the demon can't help but squeal and cry for he knows his fate. The devil knows he has but a short time. And knowing he has but a short time, then of course he wants to drag a man like this and every soul that he can control to the depths of hell with him. But the Lord came to seek and to save that which was lost. And he came with not only saving power, but delivering power and healing power. And this man bows at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have looked at much at how this man was chained, hand and foot, kept breaking the fetters. And the idea of the fetters, if you remember, was it's the idea of a, a well done and a complete work. In other words, this work was meant to last for good. But this man, with demonic power, was able to break it, able to break it like fine cords or linen. And again, of course, we're told that always, Night and day he was in the mountains and he was in the tombs. He was crying, this man. And he was cutting himself with stones. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that heart? Can you imagine this man's torment? A legion of demonic spirits within him. He's so tormented that man can't bind him. None can help him. That he gets even stones and starts to trail the skin off himself to try and ease his burden. For that heart of his must be expressed. Unfortunately, there are many people who tend to cut themselves to express their feeling, to express how they are inside. It's a way of trying to get a release and a control method of themselves. They find that it is impossible for it keeps coming back over And over and over again. Such was this man. He cut himself with stones. 
His voice couldn't be described by human words. Always night and day. He went into the mountains. You could hear him. He was out of the tombs, the place of the dead. You could hear him. They couldn't bind him. They couldn't chain him. No one could help him. This man was a helpless, lost, hopeless cause. This man found himself all alone, without God, without Christ, without hope in the world. But praise the Lord, he knew where he was. And when Christ came out of the ship, opposition came right away to the Lord in the form of these demons. These demonic spirits come down, screaming at Christ. But the man falls at his feet. The authority of Christ, the grace of God in Christ, and the power and the rulership and the headship of Christ's deity puts the demon in his place. And the Lord Jesus says, what is thy name? Now I told you last week, it gives the idea, not that Jesus just said it once, but that he said it over and over and over and over again. We read it in our English here that he says, what is thy name? And he says, my name is Legion, for we are many. But really the Greek says, Jesus says, what is thy name? And the demon is fighting against him. What is thy name? What is thy name? What is thy name? Jesus keeps on at him. The demon realizes it beats himself out and comes under submission to the power of Christ. Just like the storm did. It's the same idea. The demon beats himself out. We're told that the Lord Jesus, he sends the legion into a herd of swine. They run violently down a steep hill and into the sea. They're choked and Well, the demon's fate will be left to God when the Lord has a time for him to do so. He has a time for judgment and he has a time for every single man and woman to stand before him also. So now we have the people who've seen this run into the city. And they come back out again with those who owned the swine. And when they come out again, notice how they find this poor man. They find him in verse 15 and they come to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind were told and they were afraid. Sitting, clothed and in his right mind. If you were to read Luke chapter 8 when you go home, you'll find that we're told a little bit more that Luke says this man was naked. That's why we read he was clothed when they come back. We're told this man was a man from the city. He was cast to the tombs in the mountains. He was an outcast. He was, a, he was antisocial. He was a madman. He was delirious. No one wanted him. No one wanted to look at him. But we're told nevertheless that this man when they come back was sitting. In fact, read Luke's account. He's sitting at the feet of Jesus. Clothed. He who was naked is now clothed and he is in his right mind. There's three points I want to look at this evening. And just look at this man who has been tormented. This man who has been demented. And this man who was hopeless without help. You know, and if you ever get to a place in your mind, you ever get to a place in your heart, or you ever get to a place in your circumstance, You ever get to a place where no one else can help? 
There's always, always hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. No matter what befalls you, comes against you, Jesus is always bigger, he's greater, and he is able. First of all, look at this man. He is sitting, sitting at the feet of Jesus. The idea that he's sitting in uh, biblical times, sitting was a, a sign of submission. And it was a sign of someone having a willingness to obey and to learn. First of all, sinning meant that you were under submission and you also had a willingness to obey and to learn. For example, in Luke chapter 10, we have the Lord in the house of Mary and Martha and Lazarus whom he raised from the dead. And as he's in that house, we're told Martha is cumbered about with much serving. Notice what, he, notice what the scriptures tell us when you read that chapter. Well, not for time's sake. That Martha's so busy, she comes into the Lord and she's all annoyed because she's doing all the work, preparing the meal, preparing dinner, as it were. And Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. Mary is sitting there and the, the Savior, the, the Master, is he, he's teaching. And when Martha comes in and says, Lord... Perish thou not that my sister's sitting there and I'm busy. And when you read it, the Lord says that Mary, she would receive something from him that could not be taken away because she was receiving the word of God and come under, coming under the submission of it. So to sit meant that they would sit even around rabbis in the synagogue. They would sit down to read the scripture They would sit down to learn the word and to have the word expounded. Sitting down also can be seen not only there but in different parts of scripture. Sitting to eat, sitting to feast, sitting relaxed. But really it means to come under submission. For example also at the feet of Christ we have in Luke chapter 8 and verse 41. And it's also in Mark's Gospel, chapter 5. When you read these two chapters, they're coinciding with each other. And if you read Mark, chapter 5, you have this story of them getting out of the ship and this man called Legion with a legion of demons. Then you'll read about Jairus' daughter in the same chapter being healed of the Lord. You'll read other things like the woman who's healed with an issue of blood 12 years. The doctors couldn't help her. And meeting Christ and touching the hem of his garment. All in the same chapters. Read them when you go home. But here in Luke's gospel chapter 8 and verse 41. And it's also in Mark chapter 5. We're told Jairus comes. And it says that he was a ruler. In verse 41. He was a ruler of the synagogue. And he fell down at Jesus' feet. And besought him that he would come into his house. Jairus' daughter was ill. Jairus' daughter was sick. Jairus' daughter then died. And Jairus comes. He was a ruler in the synagogue. And he comes and falls at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. The name Jairus means whom Jehovah enlightens. Whom Jehovah enlightens. In other words, this man whose name was given to him has an enlightenment of whom Jehovah is. And he realizes that Jehovah is Jesus. And Jesus is Jehovah. 
And he comes running to the God of the impossible. He comes running to the God who can help. He comes running to the only one who can raise up his daughter. And he falls at the feet of Jesus, pleading for him to come to his house. Christ goes to his house and he casts them all out, the the professional mourners, and he takes them, throws them out of the house, brings the parents in, some of the, the, the disciples, and he takes the little damsel by the hand who's lying dead upon the bed, and he says, Talitha kumai. In other words, little damsel, I say unto thee, arise. And the little girl wakens from the dead. At the feet of Jesus, there's healing power. At the feet of Jesus, where he beseeches him to come, the very compassion of Christ is found when you and I are at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mary, the same woman who sat at Christ's feet in Luke 10, also in John 12, we're, we're told, she anoints the feet of Jesus and she wiped his feet with her hair. There's worship at the feet of Jesus. Do you notice that? There's deliverance and there's salvation at the feet of Jesus. There's healing at the feet of Jesus. There's worship at the feet of Jesus. Worship that we come before him to submit to his authority, to submit to his word, to submit to his will. And when we come to his feet, we find everything we need for our lives. We find everything at the place of worship. We find everything at the place of submission. We find everything in reading his word. Everything that this physical and spiritual body needs that you have and I have is found at the feet of Jesus. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 17 says this. And there's fear at the feet of Jesus. When I saw him, John says, I fell at his feet as dead. The glory of the risen, exalted, glorified Christ. In Revelation chapter 1, John is in the spirit and he sees him in his manifest glorified state. And he says, and when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. How is it that men and women think they'll stand before Christ without knowing Christ? Even the apostle of love says, when I saw him, I couldn't stand. I felt like I was dead. So there's also power at the feet of Jesus. And if you're looking to experience the power of God, then you must come to the feet of Jesus. He puts John right on his face or else on his back. Whatever way he fell, we are not told. And we're told when he did that, that the power of God that came upon him caused John to fall at his feet as though he was dead. The beautiful thing is in Revelation chapter 1, and you can read that also when you go home, it says, and he laid his hand upon me. He laid his right hand on John, the hand of power, the hand of authority, the hand of blessing, the hand of glory, the hand of fellowship. And that's what lifted him up And John was raised up in the spirit to receive the revelation of Jesus Christ. So there is power found at the feet of Jesus. Daniel, that Old Testament prophet, if you'd like to turn 
with me for a second. You'll read a few verses. Listen to what Daniel said. Daniel, a man greatly beloved. That's what he's called. Beloved of Yahweh or Jehovah. Daniel, a man greatly beloved. Daniel, who would not bow to the whim and the image, the music of Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel, the man who prayed three times a day. Daniel, who was in the lion's den. And the Lord shut the lion's mouth. This same Daniel. Notice what it says. Daniel chapter 10, please. Verse 5. He sees a glorious vision, he says. And I lifted up mine eyes and looked. And behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose loins were girded with fine gold of euphaz. Notice his body also was like beryl, and his face as the appearance of lightning, and his eyes as lamps of fire, and his arms and his feet in color to polished brass. And the voice of his words was like the voice of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men that were with me saw not the vision, but a great quaking fell upon them, so that they fled to hide themselves. Therefore, I was left alone and saw this great vision. Notice, and there remained no strength in me, for my comeliness was turned in me into corruption, that I retained no strength. Here's this man, Daniel, sees this vision of what is Almighty God showing him in glorified uh, beauty of whom he is. And Daniel says, when I looked at him, the one I prayed to three times a day, the one whom I opened the windows to Jerusalem toward three times a day, the one who sent his angel to protect me in the lion's den. He says, the one who gave me the strength not to bow to the whim nor the will, nor to the ways of Nebuchadnezzar and all of his armies. He says, when I really saw him, he says, my comeliness, everything that was in me that I thought good and holy and true and just and righteous, he says, my comeliness was turned in me into corruption. He says, I realized, I realized, he says, I was just a mere man with an anointing. I was just a mere man with an anointing. And that's all we are, brothers and sisters. That's all we are. Without Christ, we're absolutely nothing. Mere men and women. Flesh and bone. Verse 9 says, Yet heard I the voice of his words. And when I heard the voice of his words, then I was in a deep sleep on my face, and my face toward the ground. Behold, and hand touched me. Notice the, the words here. And hand touched me, which set me upon my knees and upon the palms of my hands. And he said unto me, O Daniel, man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak unto thee, and stand upright, for unto thee am I now sent. And when he had spoken this word unto me, I stood trembling. God sent the angel of the Lord to him. And God touched him that he could stand in his presence. This is the same God that we will all stand before in his glory at his coming. 
This is the same God that will fill the heavens, that all the unsaved of the earth will shout and yell and cry under the mountains and under the rocks to fall on us and hide us from the face of him. This same one, even Daniel says, I stood trembling. That's why you and I are going to need a new body when Christ returns that we may stand in his glory. That's why we need to be sitting at the feet of Jesus now for we will definitely be at the feet of Jesus then. Notice in Revelation chapter 1, if you'll turn with me please also. Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. Let your eye run down. Let's write on down in ver- to verse 10. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. Notice the language. See, the book of Daniel is closed, shut up, we're told. Shut up the book. And now the book of Revelation is the bookends, like Daniel's one bookend, Revelation's the other bookend. And now Revelation is starting to show the things of Daniel. Notice this same one. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and behind, heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest write in a book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, and unto Ephesus, unto Smyrna, unto Pergamos, unto Thyatira, unto Sardis, unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. Notice what he says here in verse 12. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks, and in the midst of seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. Similar descriptions from Daniel 10. Verse 15, And his feet were like undefined brass, as if they had been burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun, which shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth, and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Now notice what the Lord says unto John here. John is in the spirit. So this is a vision. Christ is risen bodily. This is a vision of a judge. This is a vision of a great God, a creator, someone in power and glory. And John says, whenever I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And the Lord puts his right hand on him. And notice what the Lord says. Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. This is a verse to do with the second coming. He says, now, John, you see me? I am alive. But me, John, the one you see now? He says, I was dead. He says, but now, behold, I am alive forevermore. That's what he's saying. He says, I am the God of the resurrection. I am the God of all creation. I am the one who's coming back again. And it's my face that they will see. We're told he fell at the feet of Jesus. 
Sitting also speaks of a finished work. Sitting also speaks of a finished work. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 3 says these words. God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory, notice the terminology here, being the brightness of the Father's glory, and the express image that is of the Father's person, and upholding all things by the word of the Father's power, when he had by himself purged our sins, notice the term, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Here the Lord Jesus is now saying there's a finished work. When he cried it is finished, on the cross of Calvary, it was a finished work. It was over and done with, dealt, paid in full. Our sicknesses were in his body, paid for in full. Our sin was also put upon him. The transgression of the law was nailed to him. The curse that it brought was nailed to him. And here Christ now comes in to glory and he says, Father, I show you my hands and I show you my feet. I show you my riven side. It is finished. It is done. And he sat down at the right hand of God, sitting at the right hand of the majesty and high, really gives the idea he sat down in the place of power and all authority. That's what it means, the right hand of power and authority. Jesus has sat down. In other words, there's a finished work. When you do something, when you do something and you've finished it, you sit down. And it's the same here. Hebrews 10 and verse 12 says, But this man, speaking of the Lord Jesus, but this man, after he had offered up one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. So, sitting, this man was found at the feet of Jesus, sitting, clothed and in his right mind. Sitting, he was under the authority of Christ, ready to learn, but he was also showing he was under the full, the finished and the complete work of Christ. But he hadn't died on the cross. But you see, in God's economy, it's different than yours. God speaks to those things that are not as though they were. God said from away eternity past that the Lamb would be slain from before the foundation of the world in the courts of heaven. It was declared and it was decreed that Christ would come and bleed and die. It was already done in the mind of God and you and I were to receive that. So the Lord Jesus brought the man under his finished work. His redemption, salvation, justification, his healing, his deliverance were complete in Christ. Secondly and quickly, this man was clothed. He was sitting. Secondly, he was clothed. The, the, the idea of him being naked here means exactly that. It doesn't mean he was running around with a little loincloth on or little clothing on. Here it means he was absolutely naked. Nakedness in the scriptures speaks and is aligned with shame and sin. 
with shame and with sin. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 25, we're told that Adam and Eve in the garden, they were naked. But there was no sin. There was no shame. There was an age of innocence, if you want, like a child is innocent and can be naked in front of a crowd and not even realize it. So were Adam and Eve. And by the time that Adam and Eve had sinned in the garden, Genesis chapter 3 and verse 10, we see the Lord walking in the cool of the day. And as he's walking in the cool of the day, he's calling Adam's name and they're hiding. And Genesis 3 verse 10, Adam replies to the Lord. Listen to what he says. I heard thy voice in the garden and was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Adam said to the Lord, I hid myself. I was afraid. I was naked. You know the first thing that the Lord says unto him? Who told you you were naked? How did you know? When we call people sinners, no man likes to own the sin. No woman likes to own their sin. When we call them it, it can be offensive, especially in 2014. But nevertheless, the word of God shows it in all its nakedness. Do you know you're a sinner? Do you know you're a sinner is the idea. And it, it, don't call me that. You see, they can't recognize that that innocency is gone. And in our nature, we're fully and totally depraved. And we're naked before God trying to clothe ourselves with good works, trying to clothe ourselves with denominationalism and ceremony and sacrifice. The Lord says, do you know who you are? There was a church in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 17. And this is what it says. It's in chapter 3. It's a Laodicean church. And the Laodicean church, Laodicea means simply the church of the laity. And it's known as, there are seven churches we had read already in Revelation chapter 1 there. Starting at Ephesus, going right through to Laodicea. And there are seven literal churches around where Turkey would be today. And they all had um, ministers there. And the Lord gave John the letter to write in Revelation to send unto them. But they're also of a prophetical time in church history. Ephesus, the first church, shows what was prominent and evident in that local church, but yet shows the first part of the church age. I'll have to teach on it sometime. But going right through the seven, through the seven church ages, as it were, right to the last church was a church of the Laodiceans, the church of the laity. And that's where we are, the church before the coming of Christ. The church before the coming of Christ. In the Laodicean church age. And the Laodicean church are known as being lukewarm. Jesus says, you know, you're neither cold nor hot. You're not hot enough to bathe in and you're not cold enough to drink. And when you drank it, there was a literal stream that ran down through Laodicea. And it was lukewarm by the time it came from the mountains down. A viaduct they had built. And it wasn't warm enough for you to bathe in. And it wasn't cold enough for you to drink. For when you did, it would make you vomit. And Jesus sends this message to the church of the Laodiceans. It means the church of the laity, or whenever the preachers are afraid to preach the word. 
because of the people. And preachers all around this country are afraid to preach the word because of the people, because of repercussions. They're afraid to lead the people out in case they lose people. I heard an old preacher, I was listening to on CD during the week, and he was preaching in America, and he says, young man, he says, whenever you go to preach anywhere, and you go to lead a congregation in a church, he says, you make sure you preach He says, it's better that you please God and lose them all than, he says, fill a church with people who don't please God and lose the sense of God. And preachers are more willing to have men and women dead and lifeless who do not want the word of God, but the lady telling the preacher what they want to hear, not what they need. This was a legacy in church then. And it's across a lot of the churches today where preachers are afraid of repercussions. And I know here in Donna Cloney, you know that I'm not. I said like it is. But I said like it is because I want the truth. And because I love you enough to tell you the truth. Here, we have in Revelation chapter 3, Laodicea and church age, our church age in which we live. Notice what Christ says to it. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and of need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Jesus says to the church, you don't even realize I know there are assemblies and there are churches, but it's the, the localized, established church and many bodies that will not preach the truth, will not preach the gospel, will not preach salvation, heaven to gain, hell to shun, will not preach the kingdom of God, will not preach a national message, will not preach that God is over all the universe. They're afraid of what the people will say, will not call out false religion, will not call out false ideology, will not say what is right and what is wrong because people are calling evil good and good evil and they'll say well just keep tight lipped well just keep tight lipped listen brothers and sisters may God forbid that Donna Cloney Elam while I'm here anyhow has ever called the church that the Lord could look at it and say and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable, and poor, and blind, and you're naked. May we be clothed with the anointing of God. May we be clothed with the garments of praise in this house. May we be clothed with the righteousness of Christ. Revelation 16 and verse 15. Listen to what the Lord says. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. So this man was clothed. In other words, he was covered. Genesis 3 and 21. In reaction to Adam and Eve's nakedness, it says, And unto Adam and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skin and he clothed them. God clothed them. Listen to Job 29 and verse 14. 
He says, I put on righteousness and it clothed me. Psalm 132 verse 9. Let thy priests be clothed with righteousness and let thy saints shout for joy. Isaiah 61 and verse 10. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. For he hath clothed me. Notice, with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. Revelation 7 and 9. We see a multitude before the throne. And we're told that they are clothed in white robes. The man and the woman who trust in Christ are righteous in Christ. They're clothed in his righteousness. Let me run on because I want to round this up. Just one short point to do when I finish this. And that's me finished. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verses 1 to 4. For the blood-washed, spirit-filled, overcoming body of Christ's saints overcoming body of Christ's saints at the coming of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 1, please. It is reported, oh, sorry, I've got the wrong Corinthians. That's 1 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 1. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God and house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan and earnestly desire to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. Brothers and sisters, this is not a mansion in the sky. Paul's talking about this earthly tabernacle is the rotting of the flesh, the dying of a body, and the new house to be clothed with is the glorified state of the sons of God. It's called the manifestation of of the sons of God. Verse 3. If so that being clothed. We shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle. Do groan. Being burdened. Not for that. We would be unclothed. But clothed upon that mortality. Might be swallowed up. Of life. And you can read. When Paul talks about. This mortal putting in immortality. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Here Paul is saying. We are looking for the resurrection of the dead. We're looking for the coming of the Lord. We're looking to be found in him. We're looking to be overcoming saints, sons of God, the manifestation of the glory of God in our lives when Christ returns and changes our bodies. This man was sitting at the feet of Jesus clothed and last he was in his right mind. You'll be glad to know this is a, a shorter point. Isaiah 26 and verse 3 says, I will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. Matthew 22 and verse 37, the Lord was asked about the, the great commandments and he says, I shall love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul and with all thy mind. Notice the heart is the cardia. It's where we get the word cardiac from. And it's the seat of emotions. It's the center of all we are. To love him with that. The soul is the word psych. You know, you talk about your psychology, psychiatric wards. It's the psych here for soul. It means the seat of your will and your purpose in life. To love Christ with it. 
In your mind is the word dianonia. And it means that you have a full understanding surrendered to him. But the man who's found at the feet of Jesus, sitting clothed and in his right mind, the word right mind here is another word, sophronio. And it means he was exercising self-control. He was of a sober mind. He was a demoniac wild man who become a docile man, quiet and self-possessed individual. And the people came to see this spectacle of the power of God. And they hated it. They detested the moving of God. Surprise you many people react that way and detest the power of God. Detest the moving of God. Detest the spirit of God. Detest the things of God. And when they saw it, we're told, they began to pray him out of their coast. They began to pray him. So here's my finishing question. Do you, do we, what do we care for most? Is it the souls of men and women like this poor demoniac? Or is it our own mentality, our own will, and our own ways? Do we care more for the things of Christ or for our own comforts? Do we care for our own soul's welfare or do we care for our own pleasures? For these men wanted him out of their coasts. Are we more concerned with temporal matters than eternal? Really, Christians get so caught up and tied up and generalized in stupid, nitty-gritty things that mean nothing for the kingdom. And there's a word out there, going to hell in a handbasket. What is it that you and I, as a body of Christ, what is it that I, you, as an individual, me, what is it that we desire most? Is it to see men and women set free? Is it to see souls saved? Is it to see people born again? Is it to see people that are helped and strengthened and blessed, chains falling off? Is it to see men's and women's fetters dropping? Is it to see men and women who have been caught with addictions being set free in Jesus' name to see cancers drop off people. This is what I long for and look for, to see men and women who are grossly deformed in their body and see them straighten out in Jesus' name. Are we more concerned with what color the carpet is in the center of the church? I don't know where I got that example from. These people were confronted by the living Christ. They were confronted by the power of God and the gospel of salvation and the power of deliverance. They began to pray him out of their coast. But this man came to follow Christ back into the ship. Jesus says, go and tell your friends what God's done. He sent them out. He sent them out. He says, go and tell them what the Lord has done. Luke's account says, go tell him what God has done. And it says, he went about publishing Jesus. You know what that tells me? Jesus is Lord and Jesus is God. Here's this man. When Legion met the Lord, there's nothing in your life too difficult for him. Reach out and touch the Lord. As he goes by, as the writer says. God bless his word.
to all of our hearts. Thank you for your attention.